Welcome to the Macmillan Report. I'm Marilyn Wilkes, your host, and our guest is Alex Debs, Assistant Professor of Political Science at Yale. Professor Debs's research interests include the political economy of dictatorship, development, and war. His work has appeared in the Journal of the History of Economic Thought. Today we'll talk with Professor Debs about his newest paper, Living by the Sword and Dying by the Sword, Leadership Transitions in and Out of Dictatorships. Welcome, Professor Debs. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So give us an overview of your paper. So this pa in this paper, I'm trying to address the following questions. Um, what explains the length of tenure of dictators? Mm -hmm. And what explains the process by which they lose office? Is it violent or nonviolent? Do they end in leaving office in, in jail, or are they killed, or are they able to walk free? Um, and I think these are interesting questions because we think of dictatorships as regimes which are, uh, which have relatively weak institutions where the leader is not not very accountable if we compare them to dictatorships, and the leader can remain in office unless he's threatened by the use of violence. But there is quite a bit of variation in cases where the leader, where violence is actually used against the leader or whether the leader is able to walk free. And so that's what I was trying to understand in looking at, the, at those questions. So what are some of the key findings in your paper? Well, what's quite interesting is that uh, what we find is if we look within dictatorships, um, military dictators are those who have the shortest tenure. And, and this is something that we had a handle on in the literature. But quite surprisingly, they're, one, they're the ones who have the worst fate upon leaving office. And that's something that was quite surprising to me because in our understanding of dictatorships, um, we, we would think that it would be the opposite because we think of military dictatorships as dictatorships where the elites are united. Uh, and that, that was the reason that was given for why they tend to leave office fast because they want to avoid a fight. They don't like to fight against each other and they don't like to fight an uprising. And so that would be an explanation for why regimes are, are short. And another explanation for, for the shortness of, of, of regimes is that military dictators are good at preserving their fate after they leave office. Mm -hmm. They have this advantage in violence, and so they don't mind leaving office because they can secure good rents after leaving office. And so when we look at the evidence, it actually shows that it's the opposite, that military dictators fare the worst when they leave office. And that was something that was quite intriguing to me, and, and so I wanted to get a handle on what explains that phenomenon. Okay, and how did you come to write the paper? Well, the, the project which I was writing uh, before this one uh, was co-authored with um, a, co a colleague of mine at the University of Rochester, Hein Gomans, and the question we were looking at was, uh, what explains the democratic peace? And the democratic peace is this finding that democracies are reluctant to fight wars against each other. And there were quite a number of explanations and quite uh, a lot of empirical work, but there were two pieces that were missing uh, in trying to build theories, which were how the war outcome affects the fate of a leader, whether he's able to remain in office, whether he's rewarded for winning or punished for losing, and the extent of that punishment. Is a leader sent to jail or killed, or is he able to walk free after leaving office? And so when we looked at the differences between the, the dictatorship and democracy, we found some pattern uh, looking at the post-tenure fate of leader. And when we dug a little deeper, that's where we also found differences within dictatorships, between the military dictators and the non-military dictators, where the military dictators fare the worst. And mm -hmm. so that really 
piqued my attention and, and made me think about what could explain this finding. Okay, and how did you uh, gather the data for the paper? You know, I'm sitting here wondering, gee, how many dictators are there throughout the world? Right, so uh, the data that we were looking at was in the post-World War II period okay. between 1946 and 1996, and there's about 480 dictators in power at any point in, during that period wow. who were ousted uh, domestically. Um, and so the data, you know, a big chunk of the data exercise was to combine two data sets. One was by my co-author, which looked at the post-tenure fate of leaders. Are they okay, exiled, jailed, or killed uh, uh, up to a year after leaving office? And the second data set was a data set that codified leaders mm -hmm. uh, as dictatorships or democracies. And within the dictatorships, which type? Is it a military dictator? a monarch or a civilian dictator. Um, and so the, the work that we did uh, in large part was merging uh, those two pieces of information, but there was quite a bit more work involved in that and the codification of regimes, there were a lot of missing um, observations. For example, if a leader comes into office and leaves within the same year, that's an observation that would be missed uh, in that codification of regimes, and uh, quite a lot of leaders fall into that category. So we had to basically take the code book and, and look through the history of cases and try to see which leaders would match to what category. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you applied your model to the African country of Lesotho. Tell us about it. Well, so this country gives us a nice uh, case study to, to look at the logic of the model. Um, because it has a relatively simple political history in the sense that the, uh, it was only ruled by three <coughs> dictators between independence and democratization, so between 1966 and 1993. So we can look at how long each leader has remained in office, what has helped them remaining in o remain in office, and, and whether the process of their replacement was violent or not. And so we find the first leader was a civilian, Chief Jonathan, who was in office for 20 years. And you would think, well, if he was in office that long, he may have been a particularly powerful leader. But he was actually a very weak leader. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, only, the only point that triggered his ouster was when he actually wanted to assert his power against the military. And the military, worried that he would concentrate power in his hands, then decided to depose him. But they deposed him and let him walk free. And in fact, you, you hear accounts about leaders who were upset after Chief Jonathan speaks against the new regime and saying, you know, why isn't he grateful that we uh, uh, saved his life? We could have killed him. Uh, he, his regime was, was repressive and we could have applied violence against him. So, so you see that he remained in office despite um, being relatively weak. And the next leader was a military dictator, uh, Lacania, who remained in office only for five years. And during that period, this was a period where different factions of the military would compete against each other. And he eliminated political opponent, op opponents for crimes which they may have been involved in, um, but may not have been the only people responsible for. And he, when he was ousted, it was by other members of the military who forced him at gunpoint to announce at the national radio that he was leaving office. Um, members of the military who were sympathetic to him tried to put him back in office. This failed. Uh, and the new leader's understanding that he represented a threat put him under house arrest. And so just these two examples give you a sense that um, having some strength is that can actually be 
uh, not a blessing, but the opposite for a leader in that this leader represents a threat for the next leader and he might actually fare worse fate. And so that gives you an inkling to the answer to the question why military leaders have this worse fate upon leaving office. It's because they represent threats to the new leaders. And so that's why they would be either jailed or, or killed so that they're eliminated as mm -hmm. political opponents. Okay. And so what is the conclusion you reach in your paper? Well, so the, the, the conclusion is that the one key in, uh, factor in understanding the length of tenure of dictators is understanding that the advantage for violence is something that's transient. Mm -hmm. And maybe a military dictator is someone who's relatively strong overall, but there are moments where he will lose the advantage for violence. And in, the, in those cases, his challengers will want to eliminate him as a political player. And so understanding this fact about violence uh, may, can give us a handle on why these leaders, which we think of as, as strong, are actually those who have the shortest tenure, because when challengers have an opportunity, they will want to eliminate mm -hmm. them, and why once they're ousted, they're sent to jail uh, or killed. Um, so, yeah, so, um, uh, so, so I think this gives us an answer to, to the initial puzzles about the length of tenure and the post-tenure fate of dictators. Okay, and in doing the research for your paper, what was one of the most surprising things you found? Well, so there's, there's quite a bit of work on uh, how leaders are able to manage the transition from a dictatorship to a democracy. And what I was expecting would be to find how military dictators fare a lot worse than their non-military counterparts when they leave office to a Democrat. But in fact, the, the difference on that level is not very high. The most important difference is when dictators leave office to another dictator. And that's where we find that military dictators are a lot more likely to be jailed or killed than their non-military counterparts. So that's something I wasn't expecting from um, what, what the scholarly literature had, had, had said about dictatorships. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here today and thank sharing you. some of your research. Thank you. For more information about Professor Debs and his work, please visit our website at yale.edu backslash Macmillan Report. Be sure to join us again for another episode of the Macmillan Report, made possible through funding from the Whitney and Betty Macmillan Center for International and Area Studies at Yale.